Well, thanks, Rob and Shauna. Appreciate you. Well, since this making room effort is, is seeking to create spaces that will facilitate relationships, we're taking four weeks to talk about authentic community. And we're looking at some of the dominant images that the New Testament uses for the church. And if you were here last week, we talked about the church as a family. The church is a household of God. This week, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. that talks about the church as a body. And this, this chapter that we'll read later, uh, it's really easy to understand the core theological idea. It's really hard to live out. And so the basic idea is that the church, like the human body, if it's going to function uh, well, uh, we as the church, every individual member needs to do his or her part. Uh, there's no room for superiority, no room for inferiority. We each need to do our part if we're going to be a, a healthy, functioning body. So that's really simple idea. What's hard is to actually live as a body. Uh, as it's been said, it's, it's really easy to love humanity. It's really hard to love individual humans, okay? And so, but that's what we're called to do. And this, this reality uh, is especially important as we talk about this making room effort because when you think about it, it's, it's, we really believe this, it's foolish to pursue a building effort if we're not living as a family of faith, if we're not living as a unified body. And uh, as you know, uh, unity can be strained during building efforts. And that's true for a variety of different reasons. I'll just mention two. Number one, it's complex. What we're seeking to do is really complex and people have honest disagreements. I'm not talking about picky disagreements. I'm talking about honest disagreements about what we should build, how much money we should spend, and what the space should be used for. And so these, these decisions are complex. And, uh, and so it's just hard. It, it just is. And the process itself can test our unity. And the second reason, and I think probably more significant significant reason that our unity can be strained during a building effort, it's due to existing unhealthy relationships. Okay, I just said that. If we already have relationships that lack love, if we lack unity, if we lack humility, that will certainly be exposed during a building effort. I mean, it just will. A building is, is like one of the most tangible things that we do as a church. You ever want to get, know what somebody really feels? Make a very specific plan that involves them. If you want to, want to go deeper, make it involve money, okay? And so I have to admit, I found myself impatient. I found myself agitated during this process. I have found myself wrongly attributing motives to other people that have been involved in this process. The good news is that God gives us this gift of repentance. I've had to humble myself before God. I've had to humble myself before other people and say, God, I'm wrong. I, I have thought things. I have said things that I, I should not have. And so this is this glorious freedom we have in the body of Christ. When we get it wrong, we can repent. We can seek to do it right. You know, one thing that hasn't helped our unity is that at times we as a leadership have not done a good job in communicating with you. And so you don't know about a lot of things because we haven't told you. Uh, but there have been just 
endless discussions and planning sessions, uh, the building committee, just long hours, our church staff, the ministry leaders, uh, our elders have had these, these uh, uh, conversations uh, with lots of people. You probably don't know that earlier this year, our elders took a day a week for prayer and fasting, specifically about this making room effort. And at the end of about two and a half, three months, we we concluded that this effort should really focus on relationships. It should really further our unity as a church. Uh, And so we feel strongly about that. But you don't know that because we haven't communicated it to you. We apologize for that. Hopefully we started doing better. Rob and Sean have been great in this, this effort. But we want to do better in, in the future. But today's passage challenges us to pursue unity by understanding that we are a body of Christ. If we don't think rightly about ourselves and about each other, if we don't have the, uni- the, the, the humility that is essential in living as a body, Honestly, our facilities are irrelevant. It does not matter if we have great spaces, if we don't have the type of relationships that we need to to occupy those spaces and, and see the body built up in love. If we do think and live as a body of Christ, these spaces can be amazing. Honestly, I think God will use them in significant way for our mission of making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And so we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians 12, verses uh, 12 through 27. In verses 12 through 14, Paul makes the point that all believers are united by the same Spirit into the one, and by the way, only body of Christ. In these verses, Paul establishes the basic imagery that he'll develop in subsequent, uh, subsequent verses, but he compares the human body to the body of Christ. Verse 12, for even as the body is one, he's talking about the human body, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And so we just accept this when it comes to our human bodies. You have one body, right? You only have one body. (laughs) It's got many members. You've got eyes, ears, feet, hands. You've got all these different members, but you've got one body. Paul says, kind of of, uh, uh, ironic, he says, so also is Christ. We would have thought he said, so also is the church. But Christ is so identified with the church that he could say, so also is Christ. Christ only has one body on this earth, many members, one body. And this is true of the church universal. And that that means uh, every believer who's ever lived anywhere, one body of Christ. It's true of the church in every city, every location, like the church at Corinth. There was One church, one body of Christ in Corinth. It's true there's one body of Christ in Manhattan. We meet in 75 or 90 different places on Sundays and other times, but there is one body of Christ in Manhattan. That's why I'm so passionate about this MHK prayer movement. We're going to have our next citywide prayer gathering on November the 7th. It's going to be on Tuesday night. Uh, Westview is going to host it. But uh, I, I, I plead with you to show up for that. And you'll hear more about it in coming, 
coming weeks. But if we, as the body of Christ, the one body of Christ in Manhattan, if we can't pray together, if we can't bring our petitions, cry out to God together, we're not going to represent God in our city the way we should. And so there's one body of Christ in Manhattan, and here at Faithy Free, there is one body of Christ. We're not, we don't have seven or eight bodies of Christ here. There is one body of Christ here at Faith. And notice how Paul supports this statement, so also is Christ. And in verses 13 and 14, he emphasizes that because all believers have experienced the very same spirit, we're part of the same body. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And so what this means is that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died as your substitute, he died for your sins, then you have been baptized by the one and only Holy Spirit into the one and only body of Christ. When the Holy Spirit puts people into the body, he puts us all into the same body, not two or three or seven or 12 bodies. And Paul says that, that this is true whether you're Jewish or Gentile, whether you're slave or free. And so in the body of Christ, ethnicity, social status, uh, economic status, all those distinctions that are so important in the world, they're irrelevant in the church, in the body of Christ. He says, we were all made to drink of one spirit, not several different spirits. And because the spirit cannot be divided, the body cannot be divided. That, that's a reality. It's impossible. And that's why Paul was so troubled when he heard, from, he heard reports that in Corinth they had divided based on teachers. They, they were aligning themselves under teachers. They were making all these differentiations. I'm not like those Christians. I follow Paul. No, well, I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. And then somebody would trump them all and say, well, I follow Christ. And Paul is so troubled by that. And I think Paul would be equally troubled today if he found out that Christians were differentiating themselves from other people and saying, I'm not like those Christians. I am different. Translated, I am better than those Christians. Because there's one spirit who baptizes all believers into the same body of Christ. There's one body of Christ. Many members, one body. Paul addresses two mentalities that are antithetical to this truth, that there's one body with many members. He first talks about those who feel inferior, and then he addresses those who feel superior. In verses 15 through 20, he says, living as a body, that addresses the attitude of inferiority. And he, he lays out this scenario. It's really ludicrous when you think about it, and you're going to think this is the most juvenile illustration you've ever heard. But we need that sometimes. We need it really, really simple. And so he lays out this scenario that uh, one member of the body feels inferior to other members of the body. And he's going to argue if that's ludicrous in the human body, it's also ludicrous in the body of Christ. In verse 15, Paul imagines, he imagines a foot. A foot is sitting there, and this foot is talking and thinking, and this foot just feels inferior to a hand, okay? He says, if a foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of a body. 
Feelings of inferiority don't make something true. It is not the case that a foot is any less a part of the body. In verse 16, Paul imagines an ear, an ear, am I going too fast? An ear it feels inferior to an eye. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Feelings of inferiority don't make an ear any less a part of the body. And in verses 17 through 20, he gives a perspective about specialization in the body of Christ. And uh, he first addresses this, this ear who felt so inferior to the eye. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And so an ear needs to get over himself, okay? He needs to just make peace with the fact that he's not an eye. And the ear needs to say, it's fine that I can't see. Because we've got eyes. I can do something that an eye can't. I can hear. And so it's, it's okay. Uh, I need to, to listen. I need to hear. And the entire body will suffer if I don't. Similarly, a nose needs to make peace with the fact that it's not an ear. It needs to conclude it's really okay that I can't hear a single word, a single note, because my job is to smell. And so if I don't sniff things out, this body, the whole body, is going to suffer. And so his point is that each member of the body has a unique, valuable function that other members don't. It's true in the human body. It's also true in the body of Christ. And what Paul emphasizes, and I love this, is that this is not by accident. This is by design. Verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. When it comes to the human body, uh, if you read Psalm 139, Paul was, was meditating on how he was fearfully and wonderfully made. When he was in his mother's womb, he was woven together skillfully. God, did, God designed him in his mother's womb. And what Paul is, is pointing out here is the same thing. God has done the same thing in the body of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can rest assured that God has placed you in the body just as he desired. God has done that. He's given you a specialization and a function just as he desired. Earlier in chapter 12, Paul, Paul uh, wrote that the Spirit distributes gifts to each one individually just as he wills. Look at 19 and 20. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And so if we were all one member, we wouldn't have a body. One, one commentator said you would have organs, but you wouldn't have an organism. A healthy, functioning body must have many members with specialized functions. And uh, a biologist talked to me after the first service. He said a sponge actually only <laughs> has one type of cells or something. I guess that's why they call it a sponge. That's all it does. It takes in water. But that's not what we are. <laughs> And the body of Christ is the same as the human body. So I would say this to you. If you tend to feel inferior, if you look around, and it could be for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you feel like you're overlooked. Uh, people are always just, just looking at other people and never inviting you in. And you feel inferior. Or maybe you just never want to risk it. You don't want to put yourself out there and serve because you're afraid you'll look stupid or you're afraid you'll fail or, or any of these things. If you feel inferior, I would beg with you, hear what Paul is saying here. He's saying that God himself has placed you in the body 
just as he desired. And it really is a, a type of false humility, a.k.a. pride, when we say, you know, I'm really nothing. I don't have the gifts other people have. So it really does not matter whether I seek God, whether I serve God, whether I do my part. Nobody will care. That's an arrogant attitude because God says, I've designed the body and I've given you a specialization. And if you don't fulfill it, there's going to be a lack in the body of Christ. And so as a matter of submission, Every one of us needs to come to this conclusion. I believe God knew what he was doing when he gifted me, when he placed me in the body of Christ. Therefore, I will use my gifts as fully as possible because it's not really about me. It's about the health of the body. Therefore, I'm not going to uh, uh, neglect to do my part because I don't want to see a lack in the body. The good news, I would tell you, there, there are people in our midst who do this so well. In a strange way, I'm always encouraged when I ask somebody to do something and they come back and they say, no, you know, thanks for asking, but that's not me. That's not who I am. And so you will find all sorts of people here at Faith who are never up on this stage on Sunday mornings, who never lead ministries. But if they didn't do what God had designed them to do, this fellowship would be a shell of what it is. I'm thinking about a man who has a gift of encouragement. Again, you'll never see him on this, this platform. But week in and week out, he encourages people. And people have the courage to do the will of God and to keep seeking God because of his ministry. I'm thinking about a woman in the church who's a prayer warrior. I mean, she goes to God and she petitions God and cries out to God on behalf of this church and on behalf of so many other people. And she listens. She listens for the voice of God. And sometimes he whispers to her the most precious things, things that we need to hear, things that we need to know. And so God in his, his wisdom has designed the body of Christ the way he does. And so we need to let go of our attitudes of worthlessness and inferiority. And if we do, a byproduct is if you do that, you will feel more satisfied, more fulfilled. But the emphasis is not on you, but on the whole, the whole body will be more healthy. Well, in verses 21 through 27, uh, Paul says that living as a body also addresses an attitude of superiority. And he, he addresses this scenario where one member of the body feels superior to other parts of the body. And as we work our way through this passage, again, I would have you bring to mind people in the church that you could really live without. Yes, again, I said that out loud. People that you really, you, in your mind, you think, yeah, honestly, my life would just be a lot easier if they, would, if they would just disappear. Those people, think of those people in the body of Christ and those people here at Faithy Free as we work our way through this, this passage. This passage has worked me over this week in a, a good way. I hope it does you too. Look at verse 21. Paul says, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. My eye can't hold a fork. I would starve if I didn't have a hand. And I can't say to a hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. My head can't walk down the hall. Uh, feet do that. And so in the human body, it's beyond debate that one member should never feel superior to the other. The same thing is true in the body of Christ. If we are a body, if this is more than just a, a nice spiritual idea, no member is expendable. 
Members that seem expendable, Paul says, are actually necessary, actually essential. Look at 22 and following. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. My left hand is weaker than my right hand. I still need it. Trust me. He says, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Uh, you know, some parts of the body we, we view as less honorable than others, but we don't think they're unimportant. Think intestines, think internal organs. He says, whereas our less presentable members become more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. So some parts of the body are less presentable than others. That's why ever since the fall, we wear clothes because they're not presentable. Parts of the body that are presentable, they don't need anything. The implications for those who tend to feel superior to others should be obvious. Verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. And so once again, he stresses that God is the one who has designed the body of Christ. And so he would have us bring to mind those individuals that honestly we could do without. Paul says, understand, God has designed the body. And if you think they're unnecessary, you're wrong, okay? And God, they are necessary for the body of Christ Maybe so that you can learn grace, so that you can learn to lavish grace and mercy on other people, imitating your Father in heaven. And notice the goal. He says in verse 25, so that there be no division in the body, but that members have the same care for one another. Again, Paul was so troubled when he heard that people were lining up, again, lining up behind different teachers and they were kind of differentiating themselves from others. And they said, I'm not like those people. Uh, they, were also, they also divided over spiritual gifts. There are some who thought that the more uh, flashy gifts or showy gifts, they're all charismatic gifts, by the way, but the, the flashier gifts like tongues and prophecy, that if you had those gifts, you're more important than everybody else, than people who have gifts of mercy or administration. Paul says that's not the case. He says uh, God has, has designed the body so that there be no divisions. And if we understand that it functions the way it does, we won't divide ourselves. And in our day, we do the same thing. We divide over all sorts of issues. It could be over spiritual gifts. It could be over politics. It could be over theological distinctives. It could be over social status, the amount of education you have. You might feel superior because you're more educated than, than others. But God has designed the body so that it represents Jesus only when there is unity only when we walk and live as a body. Look at 26 and 27. And I know I'm speeding here, but this is what it says. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And so this is a challenge. If you are doing well, if you're strong, you need to take time to suffer with those who aren't. And this is probably more challenging. If you're not doing well, you need to have joy at others who are being honored instead of thinking, unless it happens to me, I don't care about it, I'm not gonna celebrate it. No, you, we're a body. You celebrate when others are honored. 
And so this is a challenge, whether you, you're prone to feeling superior, whether you're prone to feeling inferior. One of the things that, that's going to help us apply this are the bookends of this chapter. I want us to look at verse uh, chapter 13, or I just want to make an observation, and then I want us to think about chapter 11. In chapter 13, that's the famous love chapter, and that's where Paul says that a person can have gifts like tongues and prophecy. A person can have all knowledge and all wisdom. That's a good that's a good thing. It's better than being ignorant, right? You can have all knowledge, all wisdom. A person can have enough faith to remove mountains. A person can make heroic sacrifices, like giving all your money to the poor and giving your body to be burned. You can do those things, but without love, you're not functioning as the body of Christ. And in the kingdom of God, you are not as valuable as you could be, as you should be. Paul says, I'm nothing if I don't have love. In other words, giftedness is not an excuse for being unkind and impatient because love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous. And being right isn't an excuse for being angry because love is not provoked. And so if we're gonna live as a body, uh, we, we have to infuse love in all of our relationships. I mean, genuine love, not just a, a good feeling of love, but genuine love. So that's chapter 13. The other book in chapter 11, Paul talks about the Lord's table. And, and uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table here in, a, in just a couple minutes. But apparently, as best we can reconstruct it, uh, their unity was on their disunity was on full display at the Lord's table. Uh, apparently, they were they were divided over the rid between the rich and the poor. And so the rich they had all this discretionary time; they could make their own schedules. And the, the Lord's table was a, a feast. I mean, they had wine, they had good food, and the wealthy could show up early. And apparently, they showed up early and they ate all the good food and they drank too much. When the poor showed up, who were at the mercy of their masters or at the mercy of their bosses, they barely got any leftovers. And so the Lord's table, which was supposed to display their unity as a church, what it did is it just exposed their disunity as a church. And so after explaining these things, Paul gives this, this challenge, this instruction in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, and I bring this to you as we come to the Lord's table. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, meaning without paying any attention to issues of unity, that person shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I plead with you as we come to the Lord's table today, would you examine yourself in light of relationships with others in the broader body of Christ and in light of relationships here at faith. If you tend to feel inferior to others, worthless, overlooked, nothing, expendable, bring that before God. That is not true. Admit that you've thought that. Think differently. If you tend to feel superior to other people, writing other people off, you said, they don't matter to me, they're not important, admit that to God, repent. There's one body. As Peter said, let all of you clothe yourselves in humility, humility toward God, humility toward one another. Would you humble yourself before God today?
And that, that's, that's what I'm asking. God, let God have his way with you, especially when it comes to relationships in the body. We're going to distribute the bread first. And, and as in the pattern in 1 Corinthians 11, they were supposed to wait until they'd all gathered. So we would ask you to wait until everybody's received the bread and then we'll eat together. If you need allergen-free communion bread, you'll find that in the center of the tray. Uh, after the bread, we'll pass the cup. Well, those who are going to serve come forward uh, now, and I'd like to pray as you do. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we take this, this uh, discussion of the body seriously. We thank you, Father, that you have designed the body of Christ in such a way that there should be no divisions, God, that we should, should live as one united body of Christ. God, we pray that you would give us the grace to do this. We bring our, ourselves before you, but we bring our attitudes before you. God, teach us to think rightly about ourselves. May we not think more highly or more lowly of ourselves than we should. May we think as you do. May we not think of others in, in, inappropriately as well. We pray that we would honor, value every single other member of the body of Christ and give us the, the grace we need to live together in unity. If it's going to happen, it's going to be by your grace. This is what we want, and so this is what we pray. And as we remember the body and blood of Christ, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.